the last time you woke up in the morning? Better yet, when's the last time you went to bed and felt blameless? Pure. Set apart because of your purity, because of the quality of what you are. Set apart for high honor. When's the last time you didn't feel the weight of a failure in your life? The weight of a, of, a, of, a, of a lack of perfection. If you slow down and simmer, it's probably a little bit like turning 40, which I did recently, and realizing, people ask you, what's it like to turn 40? I'm like, I don't know, I'm just sore longer. You know, it's about it. You know, it takes longer to heal, you know, because of the weight of the impact of life on my body is, is, is ever increasing. If you, if, you were, if you were to rewind your body's experience to, to four years old, can you imagine how drastic it would be to not have the weight of your brokenness built up anymore? Just how much better you would immediately feel. And you're just used to feeling crummy, you know? Imagine, holy and blameless. He says that that's functionally how he sees you now, but he has a vision for getting you there. Even today, you can be more blameless. You can be more clear on your blamelessness tomorrow than you are today. You can rewind the years, in effect, as you walk with Jesus. Does that make sense? That's big. That has a dramatic impact on the way that I experience my day if I wrap my head around that. If I wrap my head around the fact that I am currently holy and blameless in Christ's eyes and he wants to draw me through an experience and through growth and through development to a place where I'm actually living that way so that I can go to bed at the end of the day maybe and actually feel blameless. Simmer in that and that'll have an impact in your life. Next blessing. Verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. I recognize in a room this big, there's some stories. There may even be some folks who were adopted and who recognize the direct impact or, or possibly some folks who are in the process of adoption and that gives you a real perspective of what it means to, to take an orphan or to be an orphan and graft them into a family, not just positionally but holistically. Yeah, it's a legal thing, but give it a little bit of time and it becomes an organic, real reality that defines a person's life, changes the way they see themselves in their world. They take on your name, right? So to be adopted, God adopts me. He adopts you, specifically you. He adopted Matt. He said, Matt, I choose you. I'm gonna make you holy and blameless and now you are in my family. And that brings all the benefits of being in the family. And maybe some of you have very broken families and that's a hard thing to wrap your head around. But this is God, God's family. This is relationship. We're often referred to as siblings of Jesus in the scripture. You have a different name. You have a different purpose. I know in my house, oftentimes uh, I grew up and my dad would say, hey, remember your name. This isn't just about you. Your name brings weight. The collective weight of your grandfather and of me and, and, and of the Will Heights before. And that brings some issues in my family. But it also brings some honor. Do it right, okay? Carry the weight, carry the burden, carry the pleasure, carry the privilege of that name. It's a defining thing to be adopted into the family of God, wherever you're coming from. It's a big concept. And if you simmer on it, it might actually change the way you relate to your world. The next blessing that we're going to see is in verse 7. In him we have redemption 
through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. This is all in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We have redemption through his blood. What does that mean? It means back when this was written, slavery was a very different thing than when you think of with American slavery. It was, it was, it was, uh, there was a lot of reasons someone might go into slavery. One of them might be that they get themselves into so much debt. They're so broken in the way that they're living their life. They get themselves into so much debt that the only thing they have left to put up for, for uh, 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 as, as compensation for their debt is themselves, their own bodies and their work. And so they would sell themselves into slavery. It was a transaction, right? There was an actual dollar amount assigned to what you are. And it was too much for you to pay to get out of slavery. And so uh, what often happened was that somebody would actually purchase another human being for that dollar amount, for what they're worth. And, and, and until you were able to pay that person back, you were enslaved. That was just normal. It was a really crazy debt management tool. I don't recommend it. And so the idea here is that your sin in debt, your choice to sin, your choice to, 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 to take this immediate gratification racks up debt, racks up debt, racks up debt, and, and, and you can't afford, there's too much sin in your life, you cannot afford to, to be anything other than enslaved. And so Jesus comes along and, and there's no dollar amount there's no, that, that can save you. And so he gives the most precious thing that there is to give, which he happens to own, which is himself. To purchase you. He dies. He bleeds in your space. He pays your debt and he purchases you out of the slavery you've gotten yourself into for free because he chose you and he wants to adopt you into his family. Is this making sense? Simmer in that for a minute. Someone cares that much about you. Hey, independent guy trying to make your way through life and fight, 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 fight to make life work and provide for others. Relax for a second and believe and recognize someone actually cares about you more than you care about you. Someone actually wants to secure your outcomes for you way more than your economic outcomes. Wants to secure your heart, and he's done it. He's paid in advance. You didn't have to ask. You don't have to thank. You just receive. He redeemed you by his blood. Is this sinking in a little bit? Verse 9 he made known to us the mystery of his, his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth. What? I'll just put it to you this way. I find that I'm burning a lot of energy trying to figure out what to do with the next 10 days of my life, let alone my career, let alone my kids and plans and strategies. Do we keep Anna in gymnastics? Can we afford Aunt Maggie to keep on going with band? Because holy cow, you sell your soul right, for your kid to be in band, right? Um, you know, can, can we, I'm trying to make these decisions. I would, God, what's your will for this? God, what's your will for this? God, what's your will for this? And God's just like, band? How about the universe? Maybe on some level, we're missing the value of this blessing because we're so focused on the small stuff that we're missing the big context that he's given us. He's given us the meaning of life, and I'm not kidding. What's the meaning of life? We have the answer to that right here. And he's walking with us through our lives to try to, ha to show us how our lives can, in can, can connect with, can be informed by, can be directed by these really high-level concepts and these really high-level truths about what you are, who you are, what the, what the world is, what it's for, and how, what our space is in the world. He's given us all the clarity that we need to live a godly life and to live a holistically fulfilling life. Is that good enough? Or do you really want to take him to task for not telling you specifically which college your kids should go to? Right? 
This is one of those things where if we can pull out of the details and get up here and look at the blessing, it's huge. It's, it's got a huge impact. It's a source of peace to recognize I don't have to wonder what I'm for. It's all been answered. Next, verse 11, also we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. An inheritance. An inheritance we can't wrap our heads around. Anybody ever uh, think about what you're going to do for your kids? How you're going to work out that whole inheritance thing? My folks are kind of interesting. My mom said the most awkward thing to me about 10 years ago. She's like, you know what? I don't really want to wait until I'm dead to like, leave things to my kids. Like, okay. She's like, it's no fun. I won't get to watch you all enjoy it. I'm like, okay. So she, so she embarked, she talked my dad into embarking on this process of giving us bits and pieces of inheritance once in a while so that she can watch us enjoy it. I'm like, huh, never thought about that. And so once in a while, we'll just get this random check. Happy inheritance. Well, okay, cool, right? Awesome. So inheritance, I don't know what that means to you, but we're talking about all things. What does God own? Everything. Huh. What does what he, I mean, is he going to use any of that up by the time I inherit this? Or, or will it still be everything? When do I get my inheritance? In Christ. Now. So what do I own? It's a weird thought, right? Everything is ours as Christians in Christ. There's not a thing I, that, that is inaccessible. It's just a question of whether or not God wants me to have access to it. It's, it, it's, it's yeah, we can go on and on and on. If you really tap into what it means to have an inheritance in Christ, it, it's, it's way beyond stuff. It's, be, it's, it's relationship with Jesus. It's relationship with God. It's complete fullness in him. It's beyond stuff, but really all this stuff fits in. I, the, we, we live in this such a small perspective, a small mind in relationship with Christ as though we're waiting for him to dole out little things, and we, we fail to recognize that, that we already have all things in him. There's no, if I need it, I've got it. Maybe that's the best and clearest way to say it. If I need it, my father will give it to me. If I don't have it, I don't need it because I have all things in Christ. Am I making sense? That's kind of a brain bake right there. Finally, you are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. You ever noodle on what it means to be sealed in Christ? This is the one that, has had, that had the most immediate impact on me in my life. The idea is here that uh, in the ancient Near East, they would, a king would send a letter, right? And he'd put wax on the, on the scroll and press his personal seal into it so people would know who sealed it, right? And the question was, who can open the seal? Maybe you've read Revelation 5 where, where Christ has handed a scroll with seven seals on it. And, and the question isn't, hey, who's strong enough to open the seal? It's not hard to open a seal. The question is, who is worthy to open the seal? So the idea here is that the Spirit has been given to you as a seal on your life, sealed by God, right? No one can open your scroll. No one can take this blessing away from you. No one can take spiritual life from you. No one can take your relationship with God from you except someone who has the authority to open the scroll. Who has the authority to open a seal that God has sealed? Nobody. 
The only person who has authority over the seal on your life, the Holy Spirit, is God himself. Can I put it to you this way? You cannot lose your salvation. You've been sealed in Christ. No one can take that from you. No one, no matter what you've done. You can't take that from you. You don't have the authority to lose your salvation. The only person who can open the seal on your life is Christ. You've been sealed. You've been paid. The Spirit is in your life as a seal on your life. He's present. He's in you. Get used to it. And there's nothing you can do to lose that. You've been sealed. I don't know about you, but that was a hard one for me to wrap my head around. I always, I always struggled because I knew how jacked up I, I was and am and felt like, man, if I was really saved, I wouldn't be doing these things. Or if I was really, um, you know, it's maybe I'm an exception to God's love. Anybody ever been there? And that was a passage that ministered to me in a big way when I finally wrapped my head around it. I don't even, even I don't have the authority to lose my salvation. That's something that God has sealed in my life when I received Christ. So maybe, maybe that helped a little bit. Or maybe I'm like, right now, my wife slid the lasagna plate, opened it up, and you're still looking at it like, ah. And maybe in three hours, your head's going to be so wrapped up in spreadsheets, tasks, and work that it's all gone. I get it. I get it. I want to press you to continue to dig, continue to process, continue to put yourself before the Lord and process these blessings. Because what you do with these blessings is going to drive, it's going to move you through the rest of the book and through the, really the rest of your walk with Jesus. Whether you can wrap your head around the blessings that we have in Christ is going to drive you through the rest of Ephesians and through the rest of your walk with Christ. It's going to either motivate you to pursue him further and know him better uh, or not. Can I offer one one shift in perspective, though, uh, if you're still struggling to recognize God's love for you as an individual, it's real, it's true. He looks at each of us in the eyes and says, all of this is yours, all of it. I chose you. But can I offer you one twist of the head? That maybe part of why you're struggling to absorb this, especially if you've been after it for years and this isn't the first time you've been in Ephesians, maybe part of why you're struggling to absorb it is because you're looking at it in the singular. Because you're reading Ephesians, and every time you see the word you, you think you, and not the Texas version, y'all. I'm waiting for the Texas version of the New Testament to come out at some point. And it would be a whole lot more clear in texts like this. And you would pop, because I'll guarantee you there's at least, I'm going ga- to gamble, at least half of you in the room or more read this as you, as a recipient, me as an individual. Am I right? Just like me. But if you really dig into it, in the original language, all those yous are plural. And if you really look, there's a lot of indicators you can read right there in English. It's we and us. There's not one spot in the entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 1 where the reader is referred to in the singular. Never. It's always plural. The blessings are singular. The recipients are plural. I would argue that part of why I think we struggle to absorb this these blessings is because we're sitting there as individuals trying to make it make sense in our room, doing our thing by ourselves. When in fact, when you really absorb these blessings as given to the church, they're given to you as an individual, absolutely, but given to the, the, the group of believers, you start to realize that the way to really, one of the ways to really absorb, experience, activate, understand, live in, and be changed into these, these blessings is to do that in community with other Christians. Does that make sense? 
Can I, can I walk back through the blessings really quickly and show you a few implications of that? If you look at it, verse 4, holy and blameless. How does it change your experience of holiness and blamelessness to, context, blamelessness to contextualize it in your relationships, not just as a thing you alone in your room are holy and blameless? Maybe you don't understand holy because you're not seeing it, because you're not relating to people who are chasing it. It's not being modeled for you because you're not looking at other people as an example of what it means to live out holiness now. Maybe you're not being challenged. Maybe you're like me and you lived with a, with a porn addiction for years in your marriage because you, you had selective confession. You didn't bring your brokenness and the present lack of holiness into the light with other Christians. And until you did, you were gonna stay alone and really struggle with this idea of holiness. And maybe the first time you could experience holiness at a whole other transcendent level like me was when you finally went to community and unpacked your sin together. And maybe, well, yeah, you were positionally holy in Christ's eyes while you were struck in your porn habit. Maybe you could have experienced it and could experience it at a holder level now and put your head on your pillow at the end of the day and feel blameless for once. If you saw it in the plural. Adoption. Yeah, you're adopted as an individual, but guess what? You've got siblings that have been adopted too. And there's a whole lot of orphans out there still. And guess who is involved in going and getting those orphans that God chose? You and me. How does it change the concept of your adoption to pluralize that? Get out of your office, get out of your bedroom, and think about your adoption in relationship to other people. Redemption. If he bled for them, he bled for you. There's, you're not an exception to God's grace. But if he bled for you, he bled for them. Man, that's the roots of forgiveness right there. How many of us are hung up on a complete inability to forgive? How much is our redemption being frozen, shrunk, kept small in our hearts and our minds because we're not in the process of receiving the, the recognizing that we're redeemed just like everybody else, but also recognizing that they are too. And, and, and what if you filtered your whole concept of redemption and that blessing through the process of forgiveness, giving it and receiving it? The mystery of his will. Yeah, what if his will for the church, for the world, is every bit as big and important as his will for you? How would that change the way you're asking him for direction in your life? Sealed by the Spirit. What if the Holy Spirit is not for individual consumption only? What if something really special and transcendent and dynamic happens, and you see it all through the New Testament, when believers get together and the Spirit of God in me ministers to you, and the Spirit of God in you ministers to me. Maybe the idea of being sealed in the Spirit doesn't have all of its teeth until you contextualize it in community. And your inheritance, what if we all have the same value? What if the millionaire next to me doesn't have to be intimidating to me because I own all his stuff already? God just didn't seem to think I need it right now. And he owns all mine anyway if he's a believer. So like, what if we have the same value? How, how does it change your perspective and what you wrote on page 17 to think of it in terms of community. So just a thought. What if I, as this light bulb, am every bit the same as this bulb here? I have all the same attributes. God says the same things about this bulb as he says about that bulb. Uh, this bulb is God's just like that bulb is God's, but it's missing something. It's not really activated in a sense that it's experiencing the fullness of what a bulb is and is for, right? Until that bulb connects to what God is doing in the spiritual community of believers. 
and takes those blessings and understands them, activates them, lives in them, and, and, and fills them out in context of relationship with other believers. Does this make sense? Let's discuss.